Well, one of the great philosophers of the 18th century French Enlightenment was a man known to history by the name Voltaire. Uh, Voltaire wrote uh, more than 20,000 letters. Now remember, this is, this is pre-Microsoft uh, Word. This is by hand, 20,000 letters. Over 2,000 books and pamphlets, and most of them, Voltaire spent his time mocking both the French royal family and the Roman Catholic Church of his day, often in vulgar terms. In fact, he got himself arrested and imprisoned on more than one occasion for the ways in which he described the French royal family. But one of his famous and often quoted lines is this, In the beginning, God created man in his image, and since then, man has returned the favor. You see, Voltaire was not an atheist, he was a deist. He believed that God existed, but he also believed that the Roman Catholic Church of his day was deeply corrupt and had invented for themselves a version of God which is distinct from the one that really is there, the God who really exists. And we might be inclined to agree with Voltaire in our day about all kinds of people. Amen? particularly the people out there. You know, the people outside of the church. Amen? You know, I mean, if you, if you pay any attention whatsoever to the direction the culture is moving, lots of times you will discover that people have invented for themselves a God after their own image. And so the God that they believe in is ever so up-to-date and so completely modern that he believes in all of the same politics that they believe in. The God that they embrace, the Jesus they hold to, is a socialist uh, as an economic model. He, uh, he embraces their version of sexual morality, which means that anything you really want to do is permitted. And we, we can stand and we can look at that and we can see that so clearly, but men and women, the big danger to us is not that people out there would create God after their own image, but that we would in the church. And that we would choose to believe in God, not as He reveals Himself to be, not as He actually is, but God as we would prefer that He were. And there is no area of Scripture that we are more prone to this than when it comes to embracing what the Bible says about God being a God who is a God of justice and a God who brings judgment on the wicked. The whole notion that God is just, that He does judge the wicked, makes us all deeply uncomfortable if we're honest. But it's true. It's true that God really does glorify Himself just as much in wrath and judgment as He does 
in the salvation of those to whom He brings grace. And you see both of them in the Scriptures. You see God offer marvelous grace and salvation to those who will have that and perfect justice to those who reject it. Two weeks ago, Pastor Josh, he is, he is a, isn't he a good pastor? He is a good pastor. And he's a good preacher too. I like listening to him. Um, uh, not just because it means I am not preaching, but also because he is really good. Um, he showed you Revelation chapter 5 which reveals Jesus as the Lamb of God who bore God's judgment for sin and who therefore is alone worthy in heaven and on earth uh, to bring about the judgment that is written on this scroll that you saw in Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 6, you're going to see that the seals on that scroll get opened or begin to be opened. You've got to wait till chapter 8 to get them all open. Uh, but... In chapter 6, you're going to see six of these seals open on this scroll of judgment. And you're going to see Jesus Himself opening them up. And it's a sobering text. But if you aren't there yet, turn to the last book of your Bible, the book of Revelation. You get to the maps, you've gone too far. Turn back a few pages and... Uh, and get yourself to Revelation chapter 6 and follow along as I read the first section here. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Now you should notice a few things in this text. Who is opening the seals? It is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. The one who was revealed in chapter 5 as the only one worthy to open the seals is opening them in chapter 6. And as each of these things is opened, uh, there is an announcement by each of the four living creatures. One, two, three, four, come. And the thing which is underneath 
the seals comes out. And third, notice what it is that comes out. It is these four figures known to history as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's the other name for this book. Revelation or the apocalypse. And they are carrying with them the first four of God's last judgments on the earth and the wicked dwelling on it. The first horseman, I believe, represents the coming of Antichrist. This figure, this man, who is the final political ruler of the world. There have been lots and lots. John tells us in 1 John that many Antichrists have come out into the world. Uh, these people, these figures who have sought to unite the world under their power, this man will do it. And there's something you need to know about the word anti or anti. In, in Greek, it carries two meanings. One is obviously the common one we're familiar with, that you are against something, anti. But also, it carries another secondary meaning of the word instead of. This is a man who seeks to build the kingdom of God without being Jesus. He's going to bring, he says, worldwide peace. If you will all unite under me, under my rule, I will bring about worldwide peace. And what will be deceptive about it is that it will succeed for a bit. That's why I think he carries a bow but no arrows. Because the idea is we're all gonna we're all gonna lay down our weapons. By the way, is that part of the promise of the kingdom of God? Yes. The old spiritual goes, I'm going to lay down my sword and shield down by the riverside and I ain't going to train for war no more. Right? Is that going to happen? Yes. But not with this guy. This guy is more like the worldview presented by the John Lennon song, Imagine. Y'all familiar with that song? It seems like it comes out whenever there's a tragedy, people want to offer people hope, and so they play Imagine, which is the most anti-God, hopeless song in the history of the world. There's no hope in this. It starts out like this. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. No judgment. Above us, only sky. No God. Is that what you need to hear when you're in trouble? That there's no God. There's no justice either because there's no one to bring judgment on anybody. But somehow, somehow that, that, that whole vibe, you know, it's kind of got that whole hippie groove to it, right? And it's all, it's all this kind of Coca-Cola, I'd like to, to buy the world a Coke. And we all sing in perfect harmony, right? And we think we can achieve that without God, and this guy will promise that to everyone. He'll say, look, I'll give you the kingdom of God, but you don't have to have God. It'll be great. But look what comes after him. 
after the white horse of peace, promised peace, deceptive peace, not real peace, is the rider on the red horse of worldwide warfare. We can't imagine this today. Some of us are not old enough, but I remember my grandfathers. One fought the Pacific. One fought the, uh, the European theater. I remember when I was growing up that the old men who fought in World War II they went off to war as 18, 19, 20, 25-year-old men, and they came back changed. My one grandfather was involved in so much fighting that he could not sleep for the rest of his life through a thunderstorm. Because he would mistake the sound of the thunder for being shelled. And so he would go to the living room and sleep in a chair. We can't imagine this world. You know, during World War II, we had 12 million people in uniform. I think we have the second largest army in the world right now, and we've got like 500,000 in a nation of 350 million people. But back then, we had about 100 million people, and one out of every 10 was in uniform, fighting somewhere. Imagine, 12% of the nation went to war. And if anything, our technology has gotten more sophisticated. We no longer have the M1 Garand. Now we have the SAW, the Squad Assault Rifle. We have the MOAB. We have the nuclear bomb. We have the M1 Abrams, which would put the, the Sherman to shame. And so do all the other nations of the world. They've got the F-16 and the MiG-29 and these kinds of things, right? And there will be worldwide war. In, in World War II, 60 million people died. We can't even imagine that. 60 million. And the world has twice as many people today as it did then. With a more destructive military capability. Do you think fewer will die then? No. It will be world war as part of God's judgment. Behind Him will come famine, the black horse. The rider carries a pair of scales. Can you still go to the grocery and weigh your produce? Does anybody do that? Like get that scale balance thing? This is what that is. And the rider is saying what the prices will be. A denarius is, is a day's wages. It's what a laborer was paid to work for the whole day. A denarius. He's, a quart of wheat is roughly enough to make bread for one person for one day. Three quarts of barley will feed three people. But barley is mostly used as animal feed because it's lower nutritive value than wheat. But either way, whichever one you want, it'll take everything you make. 
to buy your food. Now, we had a global pandemic. We have it going on right now. So far, we think the death rate, those who have it versus those who die from it, is less than 1%. And right now, last time I was trying to buy a burger at the grocery store, it was $5 a pound because we had a little hiccup in our supply chain. We couldn't buy toilet paper at the store for months, right? So I don't know what y'all were using, but <laughs> but I hope you got creative, right? And that's over something that is not killing people in mass. Do you think there's any possibility that we have left famine behind? No. God will unleash this as judgment. Because when you have world war, you have disruption all over the globe. And our interconnected world will bring forth famine. He says, do not harm the oil and the wine. Oil is what you need to make your bread in the ancient world. Wine is what you had to have at almost every meal, both to wash down what you ate as well as kill the stuff that was in your water. When it says do not harm the oil and the wine, it means the basics of life, the staples are going to be expensive. They're going to be luxury items. And that brings forth the last of the four horsemen, death. The pale horse. The word there in Greek is the word chloros which is an unusual word. It, it's the word we get our word chlorophyll, chloroform, chlorine. It's green. You ever seen chlorine gas? Uh, when you see it, you should run. It's poisonous. I'm serious. It's green. It's green. And when he says this is a pale horse, what he's talking about is the color of a dead body. When someone dies very quickly, the color drains from their skin and they take on a greenish cast. Anybody ever seen a horse like that? One that looks like a dead body. It says that, that death rides this pale green horse. And that with him is Hades the grave. Hades is not... Is not a, it's not a place as much as it is a state. The realm of the dead. The grave. Because of the unleashing of these judgments, it will mean that many people will die. War, famine, disease, even wild animals will kill the wicked on the earth. By the way, wild animals includes, you know, we, we think of things like bears, Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, right? Um, but you know what else is included un under the category of wild animals? Rats. Roaches. Filth creatures. Because when you have 
this kind of stuff going on, guess what proliferates? All the disease-spreading organisms of the world. This is a terrifying vision. It also has produced great art. One of my favorite pieces of art in all of history, I don't know what this says about me, but I like it a lot. There's an etching by uh, an artist named Albert Dürer from the 1600s, and it is the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And to see it is terrifying. Not, But not as terrifying as to experience it. Amen? How many of you earlier this year were scared? by what was going on and the news coming across the wires. How many of you looked at that world of meter chart every single day for weeks on end? I did. Why? Because it's a fearful thing to fall under the wrath of God. And this passage is here so that people will take warning and repent that they will take warning and repent before they fall under this judgment. And if you keep reading in the text, as we will, you'll see something unusual. You'll see why God is bringing forth this judgment. Look at it. It's because His suffering people cry out for justice. Look at verses 9-11. through 11. When He opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the Word of God and the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before You will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Uh, if you look at church history down through the present day in countries around the world, what you will see is God's people martyred for their faith. Our brothers and sisters were killed under the Roman Empire. They died under torture in the Inquisition and what was called the Counter-Reformation. They died by the hundreds in the streets. You can go to Rome today and see a monument in the place where they burned our brothers and sisters to death. You can go on the high streets in some towns in England and you can see where Queen Mary, known to history as Bloody Mary, which is not just a drink, by the way, was an actual person who put our brothers and sisters to death at the stake in the street. Burned them to death. Some of you all have forgotten how you got here. We didn't just come over here so that we could kill off the Indians and take the land. That was part of the sin after. But the sin that got us here was the destruction of our brothers and sisters and the desire to flee from that persecution and martyrdom. And so people like my Dubois family ancestors on my mother's side boarded ships 
went across the ocean and landed in places like Charleston, South Carolina. Or some of my other ancestors cut out from England and went across the ocean to Pennsylvania who said, we're done with that old world. Let's put six weeks by ship between us and them. As the Huguenots in France were slaughtered, as the dissenting people of England were killed and were run out of that nation, they went to where they could escape. Our people have died in Japan and India and Arabia and Egypt and Iran and Iraq in Malaysia, in Indonesia, in the Soviet Union, in Nazi Germany, in Hungary, in Belarus, and on and on and on. There has never been a time in history when God's people were not being murdered for their faith. They have been stoned and sawn in half and crucified, and burned alive, and beheaded, and drawn, and quartered, and raped, and beaten to death, among other things. And it's still going on to this day. And let me ask you a question. First of all, what do you think God thinks about that? And in case you're curious, let me ask you a follow-up question. What would you think if it happened to your child? Are you less just than he is? No. Are you more? No. But he is patient. He is patient. And His judgments are poured out according to the Scripture here as the just recompense against the wicked for the evil they have done and continue to do against His people who cry out to Him in their martyrdom like the psalmist and the prophets of old. How long, O Sovereign Lord, Perhaps you cannot understand this. But it seems to me that as I look at the text here, that God has a certain number of martyrs that He will allow. It says, until you're given a white robe and told to rest, until the number of their fellow servants and brothers should be complete those who will be killed as they themselves were. In the meantime, the martyrs are given a white robe like Revelation chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 promises. And they're told to wait until all their brothers and sisters have joined them. And it seems to me that even as we see judgment coming in the first eight chapters of this I mean, the first eight verses of this chapter, there's still more martyrdom yet to come. You'll see more martyrdom in this book between now and chapter 19. More people added 
to the roles of the martyrs even at the same time that God's judgment begins to fall. And, don't miss this, even while God's judgment is falling, God's mercy is also still being extended. You'll see that next week in chapter 7 as you see the redemption of the world. And the redemption of the world will not come through us, the church, it will come through the nation of Israel in fulfillment of God's promises to them in, in throughout the Old Testament and mentioned and ex- described and explained again in Romans chapter 9 through 11 that God will graft back into their own olive tree the people of Israel and through them the Great Commission will be fulfilled. You'll see that next week. So even as God's judgment falls, God is still bringing salvation to more and more uncountable millions of people. So it's not as if there's just one track that the train runs on. There are two. There's God's justice on the one hand and His mercy on the other. And they run at the same time, even through the tribulation, even though the church is not here, because I believe we have been taken up into heaven uh, at the end of the church age, which I think we see in chapter 4. We're not mentioned on earth after that. We're mentioned in heaven, but never on earth after chapter 4. Until chapter 21, when we show back up. But, this is exciting. Actually, it's chapter 20. We show back up. After the judgment, then we are there on earth, on a new earth. But here's the thing. The point is this, that God's judgment is not simply like a lot of people think of God's judgment. It isn't like uh, you or I as a parent, like we sometimes do, you know, we, we, we get frustrated with our children and then we blow a gasket, right? And then we have... We, we just go on like a 25-minute rant. And we, you know, we were like, what is wrong with you people? You know, and there's lots of arm waving. At least there is at my house. Okay, maybe your mileage may vary. Uh, but, you know, there's just a rant that you go on, right? And you hope that everyone is suitably chastened and repentant afterwards, right? You just have had it with your children, Right? God's justice is not like that. He doesn't just blow a cork one day. God's justice is the just retribution owed and being paid out to those who have abused and martyred His people. And so if you are a member of the Chinese Communist Party who is putting people in concentration camps right now, you should read this text and fear. If you are a member of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard and you are burning people to death for their faith in Jesus Christ, you should read this text and fear Him who sits on the throne and of the Lamb who pours out His wrath. There remains one more seal to open in this chapter. Look at it with me. Verses 12-17. through 17. 
When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? I feel like I could just close it right there. But I'm going to explain what this is about. The opening of the seal brings huge cataclysms of judgment into the natural world. First off, there's a massive earthquake. Now, I don't know that much about geology, but my understanding is that, that the, the surface of the earth, its crust, is all interconnected. And it rides and floats basically above the a layer underneath that called the mantle that we really don't know that much about. But my understanding is, is, that, is that it is possible for an earthquake to be so enormous that the entire surface of the earth moves at the same time. And there is an earthquake. And I believe accompanying that earthquake, because this often happens as the earth's crust shifts back and forth in an earthquake, that there follows after that volcanic activity as some of this stuff that is up under the crust of the earth comes out. And that is what darkens the sun and colors the moon. In the 1980s, when Mount St. Helens erupted for about a year afterwards, all the sunsets were colored because of the amount of ash spewn into the atmosphere. When Krakatoa erupted in the late 1800s, there were crop failures the world over because of the amount of pollution that got shot into the atmosphere of that massive eruption darkened the sun. This will be like that. There will be a massive amount of seismic and volcanic activity and there will be a darkening of the sun and a blood red moon. And it says the sky rolls back like a scroll. I don't know what that means. My suspicion is it has something to do with the atmospheric layer that protects the earth perhaps being damaged in some way, such that more radiation is coming in from the sun. Also, the word translated stars here, we, you know, when you read the text, you need to understand the culture of the words it's written in. And when, when we think stars, we think these giant balls of flaming gas that are essentially a nuclear explosion out there in the, in the atmosphere out in outer space. But the word stars in, this, in the Greek language refers to anything that is outside of our atmosphere. Any of the floating stuff in the, 
in the uh, out around us. And I think what's happening here is there is a meteor shower that some of these asteroids begin to fall through the surface of the atmosphere. You know what happens when you have space rocks coming through the Earth's atmosphere? They catch fire is what happens. And so you have all over the Earth burning, flaming rocks hurtling out of the sky. Now imagine this. You've got a world war. You've got plague. You've got famine. You've got wild animals taking people's lives. You have an earthquake. And then all of a sudden you have flaming rocks of the wrath of God raining down on the earth. What are you going to think right then? You're going to think, I need to find some place to hide. And that's what people do. Even though the earth has been shaken, even though people are terrified by the wrath of God, notice that they do not pray to God. They do not repent. Their prayer is to nature. You see that? They call on the rocks and the mountains, fall on us and hide us. That we might not fall under the wrath of God. And everyone from the greatest and the most powerful to the lowest of slaves is affected by this judgment. There is no escape. No one will escape. See, in our world, um, if you're rich and powerful, you can a lot of times slide by, right? You get a different justice system if you have the right friends and enough money than if you're powerful and penniless and powerless and penniless, right? But not under God's justice. No one escapes. They would rather die than face the wrath of God and rather have the mountains fall on them than repent. Now, if you read this chapter before you go to bed at night, it will keep you awake. It will. This is not like reading Leviticus, amen? Now, some of you have not read Leviticus and you don't know what I'm talking about, but Leviticus is where your Bible reading in a year plan goes to die, right? <laughs> and, um, and, and some of you are like, oh, oh, this is scary stuff, and it is. By the way, is Leviticus God's word? Yes, it is. Does it have things to teach us? Yes, it does. Does that make it easy to read? No, it does not. All right. But here's the thing that you need to understand here. This, this stuff that is described here is not fantasy. This will really happen to real people in real space-time history. This is not a fairy tale at the end of the book. This is all going to occur. And we're told about it for two reasons. Two reasons. By the way, this is the same two reasons that God gives every passage that talks about the end of history and the end of all things. It is for our exhortation and for our encouragement. Right? Let me give you the exhortation first. The exhortation is this, that God will 
judge. He will. And He will judge in a way that is inescapable and is final and is serious. Does anybody doubt in reading this text that the judgment of God is serious when it comes? No, it's serious. And so the exhortation is this. If you are a person who has never put their trust in Jesus Christ, can I plead with you today to flee from the wrath of God? Because though you may escape this one, there are others that are described in this book which you will not escape from. Because every, every person will either be welcomed into the kingdom of God or they will stand before His great white throne. And you do not want to be there. And so if it is possible to escape from this judgment, I would encourage you Instead, in fact, plead with you to escape. Paul says, knowing what it is to fear God, we persuade men. Be reconciled to God. Make peace with Him. Jesus said that if you have ten, an army of 10,000 and a faraway king is coming with an army of 20,000, you better do the math and figure out if you can prevail and if you can't, you better ask for terms of peace. And peace terms have already been offered to you. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, they, these are the peace terms that He offers. Jesus Christ came to die in your place to bear the wrath of God for you as your substitute. And if you will put your trust in Him, you will escape His wrath because it has already been given to someone else. There's also an exhortation for us who are believers that's here. You know, we will always, a lot of us, will flash our lights at oncoming traffic to let them know there's a cop down the road crossing speeders, right? Right? Is that a serious judgment? Well, not really. I mean, I think the last ticket I had was almost 20 years ago. It was for $240. And it was enough judgment for me to repent. I've not gotten one since. <laughs> right? I thought, oh, son, I was stupid. Right? And, uh, and we, will, we will let people know, hey, don't fall under that judgment. Brothers and sisters, can I say this to you with all the love of Christ? If we love people enough to tell them that judgment is coming in the form of a traffic ticket, shouldn't we love them enough to share the gospel with them because this judgment is coming? I'm serious. Shouldn't we love them enough to warn them away from the wrath of God? Now let me give you the encouragement. Here's the encouragement. Are you ready? God will judge. Some of you are sitting there thinking, wait a minute. You just said that was the exhortation. Where's the encouragement in the fact that God will judge? It's this. I don't know about you, 
But this is me, okay? I watch the news sometimes when I can stand it, which I can't often. I listen. I, 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 I voted in every presidential election since 1992. I'm thinking very seriously about sitting this one out. But, but in every single one, I have been told, send me to Washington. I'll fix it. I'm going to make it better. What we, the best we get, incidentally, is making it differently worse. Why? Because you can't send sinners to fix the problem that sinners create. Sinners can create different problems. They don't solve any in a fallen world. There are no solutions. There's just trade-offs between which problems you want. And I get tired. I admit, I'm going to be 47 this month. I'm probably a grumpy old man. All right? You kids stay off my lawn. But, but I get tired. And I'm not talking about physically tired. I'm talking about tired in my soul of all of the things of this world. I get tired of seeing the, the destruction that pornography brings into people's marriages. I get tired of seeing, of counseling people through adultery. I get tired of dealing with stuff. I get tired, frankly, of driving down the road and having someone disobeying the speed limit in front of me. And it's 45 through this construction zone and you're going 32 for the love of God. Please move. <laughs> okay? I get tired and frustrated the way things are. And I'm longing for the day when there is a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Amen? And here's the encouragement in this. That day's coming. And it comes because God is finally and fully going to get rid of evil root and branch. He's going to deal with it. And the fact that He does judge is a great encouragement. Amen? It won't always be like this. The world as it is will not be allowed to persist like this and worse for an unlimited period of time. God will deal with it all one day. One day He will flip over the board and say, that's enough of this game. We're putting it away. We're creating a new heaven and a new earth. And nothing of the old will be remembered anymore. God does judge. The evil of this world do not escape forever. One day, He's coming. And He's coming bringing judgment for the wicked and grace and peace for those who put their trust in Him. So be encouraged. It isn't always going to be like this. Someday it's going to be so much better this will not be remembered. Let's pray.